0: Hi there, and welcome to a design-led approach. This podcast has been a long time in the planning, but today we finally sit down with Liam O'Shea, architect and business owner. Liam, alongside his business partner Andrea Marini, founded Marini O'Shea Architects back in 2018, and since then they have went from strength to strength. They work for clients such as the Information Commissioner, the Student Loans Company, and Thirstcraft, to name a few. In their short time in business they have already worked on many exciting projects from office redevelopments to a spa just outside of glasgow and the conversion of a church into a house where it's rumored a former british prime minister is buried in the grounds i hope you enjoy this insight into liam's career life and approach to business and architecture enjoy
1: Welcome to A Design-Led Approach, your one-stop shop for all things construction, business and design. We speak with entrepreneurs and business owners in the design and construction industry who share their advice, talk about the challenges in the industry and give you insight into their day-to-day lives. A Design-Led Approach starts now.
0: Thanks for being our first guest on the the podcast, it's Liam. It's a pleasure, Craig. Thank you for yeah. having me. No, no worries. So, we'll, we'll go back to when when you first started your your career. So, what made you want to become an architect, and what was there the was there a defining moment in your childhood or adolescence where you thought, you know what, that's the job for me? Architecture's the job
1: for me. Well, not not really, to be honest. Where on the first day of me studying. Cor- the course to become an architect which I did at the Glasgow School of Art that was the question that they asked everybody at what moment in your upbringing did you decide that this was the thing for you and virtually everybody said it was Lego uh, I and I didn't <laughs> have that, I was like oh I, d- I liked Lego as well but I wasn't playing with it thinking that I'm going to become an architect I yep. actually applied to study product design Right. my dad was a mechanical designer He worked. I grew up in Presswick right, and okay. he worked at the airport designing aeroplanes basically yeah, yeah. so I, I was around that environment and you know he would bring bits of plane materials home and yeah. drawings of like seats or whatever so i was always interested in that sort of thing and i thought product design was the thing for me got offered a place and then just i don't know I, something about it fell um i just i thought architecture's got so many transferable skills 100 percent. you know yeah. i didn't i and the course sounded more attractive to me so i just did it and then uh, i I took a year out and then applied to become to to study architecture and thoroughly enjoyed it you know because it there's model making involved there's hand drawing there's computer drawing there's digital modeling there's photography there's writing it's got it it, it pulls in a bit of every or you can you can put into it
0: whatever you like you know it's a creative process so um is there a certain style of architecture you're really drawn to or yeah there is it's hard it's quite hard to define that
1: i think or i find it hard to define i you know i like things that are um imperfect i suppose because i look i like things that look like they have been made by somebody and that's difficult to achieve because you know uh industrial processes and manufacturing processes and the way that architecture industry is in this country i suppose buildings are an assemblage of proprietary products essentially and systems that you're buying and are are being put together and we find a bit of pushback particularly on sort of commercial office fit outs and things like that where you're trying to commission something which is bespokely made obviously there's an expense that comes with that um, but it's it, it doesn't you know people see these projects sometimes as just you're just assembling things which are already available in the market essentially yeah. whereas we're trying to design something that is unique to the space and the people that are going to be using it and what they're going to be using it for and that often yeah. makes means um, you know coming up with a very unique design response to a set of challenges and having somebody fabricate things to 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 a particularly design.
0: yeah so quite often you're wanting to design it in a certain style yeah but the installation contractor will maybe push back and say well that's not an off-the-shelf product or a yeah. proprietary product yeah. that we can we can use so yeah. so going going back um you left school uh-huh and you went straight to to university as you i didn't you actually i was
1: i was young leaving school because I, I i went to school when i was like four and a bit so i left school when i was 17 couldn't even right, buy okay. a <laughs> <laughs> um and i looked about 15 so yep. i took a year out and went and worked in a school in australia curiously mm-hmm. um which is where i met um your man that was telling you about earlier and then i and, and from australia i applied to study architecture so I, d- I, I declined my offer to go and study product design when i was 17 i went to australia and reapplied to become an arch- to study architecture and then i got back took a job in a bookshop for Nine months and then went went moved to glasgow so i was i was in Ed, my family were living in edinburgh at that point
0: Right, okay so, so you studied in glasgow yeah studied at the glasgow school of art before it burnt down <laughs> Right, okay twice and then <laughs> <laughs> and then then you went on to work in a, a practice and already established practice
1: yeah the, the way that the architecture course works is that you, you study three years and then you have a year in industry um, and then you return for a further two years, typically. Uh, or that's the way that the course that I studied worked. But the first year in industry, for me, coincided with the 2008-2009 global crash. financial crash. Yep. And there were architects with 30 years of experience getting laid off and searching for the same sort of job that I was searching for. So it was a virtual impossibility. I applied to everywhere that I could think of. And then applied abroad and got flown to Zurich for a job interview which was you know um here I was a sort of slightly grotty student and they put me on a flight from London City Airport to Zurich which was full of bankers and I was the only person like whoa this is yeah that was exciting it was (laughs) exciting (laughs) I've made it and they offered me a a job at the end but I, I, I didn't take it because um they just they have a it's a completely different culture in switzerland to do with the way that people are paid and it was essentially a sort of um allowance i'd be having to pay to work there essentially and substantial sums of money Uh, uh,
0: and it's very expensive to live there that's what i was going to say the cost of living in switzerland is very high
1: um so i ended up just working in a bar and didn't really get any experience of architecture went back and finished my, my last two years and then when i left i got a job for on a, i sort of freelanced for about three or four different sole practitioners and architects for a couple of years right, okay so i got a kind of broad range of different experience from of how people run practices
0: i was going to say that would give you a good overview of of different uh, projects as well as the way people run the practices etc absolutely so there was a guy a friend's dad actually
1: he i turned up to work for him and he said have you got your tools with you and i said yep i've got a <laughs> laptop and he was like uh this is i've you know it's hand drawings here so i was working doing hand drawings in one office computer modeling in another office you know um so it was pretty and i was also working in a film prop store at the time so i was doing like three or four different jobs overlapping getting getting to see how other people did it and then it came a certain point where that was stressful and difficult to manage and uh, i was fantasizing about just having to turn up to work in one place and so i sort of fell into a job i suppose uh, a more established practice yep um and stayed there for about four and a half years
0: so so when you left you needed there was a more residential projects you worked on exclusively with, with
1: exclusively yeah, yeah
0: yeah sole practitioners yeah and then when you move into a more established practice you would get bigger and different more diverse types of projects really although the yep. the, the, the more established practice that i worked
1: for they they a huge proportion of their work was for housing associations right okay and so it was still residential but it was on a much bigger scale you know some new build but mostly refurbishment work of tenement tenements basically sandstone tenements yeah yeah. which is a really good um kind of study as to how buildings are made because you know they share a lot of common traits between tenements if a sandstone tenement is built within a sort of relatively concentrated period of time and share a lot of common details and doing renovations to tens if not hundreds of them you sort of are exposed to many different aspects of of fault finding and sort of future proofing a a particular typology of building
0: yeah it's extremely challenging to future proof that these type of buildings with this poor fabric performance Uh etc Um, especially when you're working for housing associations or local authorities when they're wanting to introduce um new renewable technologies and etc but the the building fabric's so poor that yeah it just doesn't warrant it so there is a lot of challenges there
1: I know uh, we didn't really solve those to be honest I mean I- it's interesting because the housing associations they they want to do things or in my experience the particular housing associations that we worked for they wanted to do things well and properly because not least because um you know it's in their remit to improve their built environment to some extent but and, and provide good homes for um folk but they also don't want to create an ongoing
0: maintenance problem for themselves 100%, yeah.
1: so they want to do things that they don't have to return to and fix every couple of
0: years you know so it's about looking at the whole life cost of the asset exactly not, not just the capital expenditure cost um, and we
1: can come back to that because trying to win that argument with people who don't have who have got lo- who's finances are different from as an association you know individual families Mm -hmm. have got a set amount of money to spend and you're trying to suggest you know trying to win that argument about the whole life cost of something It, it only goes so far if they literally don't have any more money to spend on something you know but 100 at the same time you're trying to sort of um signpost somebody to the fact that maybe spending less money on the fancy kitchen and more money on the insulation in the fabric or whatever it might be you know yep. would be a sensible approach
0: and it doesn't mean the fancy kitchen can't be installed at a later exactly. date but it's much harder to install the insulation exactly once the building's constructed aye so so go, going back you're working as an architect within a an established practice mm. what what made you want to go and start your own practice was there something that you seen that wasn't working right was there a common problem that you've seen mm. in architecture in general that you thought, I can solve that problem? What, what was it? It was a few things. It wasn't
1: uh, it wasn't any one thing, I don't think. Um, th- the person that, uh, Andrea, who is the co-director of my company and uh, myself were working together in the same office. So it was a relatively small office, so it was four people, so we were sitting next to each other. We'd been friends, we'd met in art school. Um, and bit by bit, as people find out that, or just people are aware that you're an architect, um, they start to ask you to do things for them, you know, homers or whatever. H- it wasn't the sort of office where you would bring a project, a, sm- a small domestic project yeah, into yeah. the office and do it as part, you know, it's just the overheads and all that sort of stuff would make that financially unviable for everybody. Yep. Um. So we s- we s- we just thought, oh, let's just say yes to that. You know, that sounds fun. We can... um,
0: Do, do it on the side, sort yeah. of? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, And enjoyed that process, you know, because as a relative junior in a a well established office, there's certain things which you're just never going to be involved in, you know. Um, Some of the, you know, developing a brief, the initial responses to that, you know, the way that the office that we worked in worked, and I think probably many offices do, is that the design process and up to a certain stage, know all of the formative stages of a project are undertaken by somebody who's a director or partner. a partner yeah yep. and then you're tasked or i was tasked with uh, essentially executing that you know like getting the a b- nuts get and bolts yeah, getting it getting it um statutory approvals for it and yep. produce, pr- producing drawings for how it would be constructed but everything was pretty much frozen by that point you know yeah so we didn't really get involved in that earlier stages
0: and it doesn't allow you the, the chance to flex your exactly. creativity yeah. such.
1: So, we, doing those side projects did that. We obviously enjoyed it and, um, you know, frankly, both of us are creative people and wanted to, you know, use that part of ourselves in a way that was sort of uh, not being done, uh, particularly often in the office that we worked in. And then besides that, there was just personal life circumstances. My partner became pregnant and... Um, Everybody in my family said you're you're bonkers. You're going to leave a salaried job and set a company up yep. whilst you're expecting a kid. But you know, not wanting to get into like statutory paternity leave. And, but in yeah, this yeah. country, you know, it would be sort of ten, 10 working days, two weeks off, and then you're back to working eight till six every day, and it's inflexible and um not. It wasn't desirable for me to do that. Yeah, you know. So yeah. um, setting up the company, we did that in April of 2018 officially handed in our notices um is that scary it was incredibly scary yeah, right, yeah. um because you know I w- obviously we've developed you know very close personal relationships with the people that we work with yep. an office of four people sitting in the same room for four and a half years you know yep. um and we're cutting that office in half by both leaving at the same time yeah but our boss after he found out wh- once we told him that, that we weren't we hadn't been um headhunted by another practice and that we're going to set up by ourselves there was a glint of pride in his eyes you know he was like, you know great so and that was he was very supportive after that and then um yeah and i the my daughter arrived in august so we had sort of what four months of um lots of having loads of time on our hands and then it all disappeared yeah um yeah, so the, so a mixture of things, really. Uh, you know, wanting to have the flexibility. You know, we set up as a we, we've only ever worked a four day week as well. That was something that we kind of. Uh,
0: and how, how do you feel that that's benefited you and and your employees now? The four day work week. Just do, th- do you feel it's a real win for mental health and and general work life balance?
1: It, it, it is. It's complicated though because it works for people. It works for the vast majority of people, right? So yeah. Andrea and I, we've both got two kids now and other interests beside architecture so uh, we're both in bands we both like traveling or you know and just got life administration to deal with yeah, it, yeah. You know. so there's there's various things that we'd like to do with that time other f- some other people uh, i'm not saying they've got less interests but would be um one of the things is that is working as a four-day week um there's a sort of Pro rata arrangements where essentially earning 80% of a uh, of a full time wage, and that is a lot of people would just rather have 20%
0: more, uh, uh, 20% pay rise basically. So, and how how do you feel being being a founder and a director of a company? So when when it doesn't go right or there's a project that requires more time, are you Uh still strict in your four day work week or? that be challenging at times trying to fit that in within the four days because i know i know for myself like some some weeks i'm working six seven days Mm -hmm. and i know it's not good for me personally but it's what the business needs yeah and i can't expect the employees to do it so is that a challenge for you definitely
1: i mean i say four days a week but you know we're working virtually every evening and yeah. Andrea is working today for example so this this is the this is a Friday this has been recorded and typically we would never work a Friday but he works virtually all Fridays now so it's sort of yeah it it, it you just do it as you know I reckon if I had an eight day week I'd still I'd still um manage to fill it, it yeah manage to fill it and not get everything done so yep. I'm, I'm trying to be strict with myself because um it keeps me being productive having a very limited amount of time to do it but also yeah. you know I've got a relatively new baby and um it's just you know my partner is also she runs her own stuff as well you know she's got her own business I suppose and it, she needs for her own me- mental health and well-being needs time you know I need to be there and 100%. Be so percent yeah, yeah um
0: but, but having a baby is, is probably a good thing for you because it forces you to take time away from the business yeah. and it forces you to concentrate on other things absolutely um, let me myself. I've not got kids, but I've I've signed up for the Manchester Marathon, so it's a massive commitment yeah. for training, and it's forcing me to get away from my desk and actually go running and go to the gym, etc. So when is that? Eh, not till April. Okay. Um, but if I get the practice in early, yeah,
1: you're glutton for punishment. <laughs>
0: what was that thing? Iron Man. What Iron was Man. Yeah, Iron yeah. Man, yeah, unbelievable. That was that was twenty nineteen. Was that, it? was it that long ago? You eh, know. 2020 in yeah. the man, yeah. yeah. Well done. So, so is it, has it been all plain sailing since you started to practice, or has there been minor speed bumps along the way? I'd say fu- I, I don't know if
1: I've had a single day that's been plain sailing. <laughs> that is part of the, I you know, uh, one thing that I recognise is that in virtually every previous job I've done, so particularly in the bookshop that I used to work in, but, you know, I've worked in bars, Pizza Hut, Um, can I say that? Uh, you know, other pizza uh, other pizza outlets are available um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i would be clock watching for the end of my shift yeah you know oh, i can't believe i've got to be here for another four hours five hours since we started this it's the complete opposite uh, it, it's been every single day i've got i can't believe I've only got two hours left yeah you know um no two days ha- have ever been the same and things you know andrea and i together have got a pretty um we've got a very we've got a close relationship but we've also got a shared sense of humor about certain things and you know uh the ability to laugh at stuff that is sort of farcical which yep. happens um because it's the building industry in britain and it's uh, it, and you know it, you're just exposed to um people of all walks of life and making all sorts of decisions and yep. you know doing all sorts of stuff and it's just it's just a very interesting job yeah um and i, I i love it you know but and
0: and it's funny how your challenges differ from client to client because some clients are really in the detail and other clients don't want any detail they just want you to deal with it yeah um and other clients want things almost gold plated but other people just want it cheapest chips minimum compliance yeah um so it's always challenging to try and balance these
1: yeah and to try and work out at at the outset of a project which which category that somebody's going to fall into, into. Yeah, yeah because yeah. you just can't make judgments about people because you end up there's just constantly surprise you you know yeah but working with people is the you know is the central aspect of the job 100 really, you know
0: but it's, it's quite refreshing to hear that even though you you come across as someone who's got it all figured out it's not it's not necessarily it doesn't feel like that to you so did did you think that that that's a common misconception when people go to start any business or any practice that that they need to have it all figured out did you feel like you were getting a bit blind when you were starting your own architecture practice or absolutely you know
1: people like I suspect that the vast majority of people who start a practice do so later in their career than we did it you know um, I I, I might not be correct about that but I have a feeling you know relatively speaking Andre and I were pretty green when we started you know we're in our late twenties and had, o- had only really worked for a small handful of practices, you know, yep. and other people that I see setting up practices have maybe worked in a, in a, in a broader range of, of places doing different types of work, you know, and really sort of um, pulling in ideas from a wider range of, uh, a wi- wider range of experiences as to how you could run your own practice. And we yep. just, we sort of, because we had the shared experience in an office before we set up, That was the sort of that has been the main reference point for how things should be done.
0: But but do you think that that's got a benefit starting when you're a wee bit green because you've maybe challenged why why is it done this way? Yeah, for sure. And you're not you're not pigeonholed into certain processes or practices. You can actually question why it's done certain ways. Is is it bringing you value? Is it bringing your clients value?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, because you don't have you don't have entrenched uh, sort of ways of doing things. You know, exactly. you're
0: sort
1: of that was a huge attraction to setting up in the first place was that, you know, you set up a practice, really what you're doing, you've basically got a desk in a room with a laptop. I mean, you don't and a printer. You don't really need yeah. much besides that. And everything, all the systems that you need to run a job, you're you're designing them from the ground up again, you know, yeah, yeah. and instituting your own ways of doing things. And yeah. that's a sort of design task in itself. And it's that you know coming with a system as to how you realize a project essentially is the sort of um it's a- absolutely central to you know successfully practicing as an architect in this country I think but um yeah there has been there has been many bumps along the way and, but uh, you know it's been it's been a steep learning curve you know the the steepest one probably at, at the outset was that um in our experience, we weren't exposed to how you would properly fee a project, you know, or or, or, yep. or value the work that you do. So as a result, um, you know, we massively undercharged for the, a lot of the projects we we're doing at the beginning, and then feel obliged or are contractually obliged to obligate, you know, to um, fulfil that.
0: But but in a way, that probably was good for the business because it got you a lot of business to start yeah, with, and yeah. it gets new clients in the door, and it starts to open up relationships with with new clients so it might have been a blessing in disguise yeah some of them yeah (laughs) some of them yeah you know it's glacial the industry so you're sort of once
1: you're once you're into a sort of a service with somebody you know do uh, as their architect you could be doing that for the next four years or something like that and yeah yeah. a lot can change in four years no i mean but we did we honored it and uh, it has been good i wouldn't i don't i wouldn't change a thing to be honest with you but it did mean that you were working knocking your pan in and
0: uh we've got some projects like that you look uh, you look back that you put the fee proposal in three years ago yeah and you go we're working for what Uh, but it's all about building that relationship so we still do the same job as we would on yeah on if it was correctly i know you've got to because otherwise yeah
1: it's i yeah it's just you you've got to just do it as best you can really and um that's all we've relied on for getting business to be honest with you Greg, we, we yep. don't have a website we've only recently got a social media profile word of mouth is the thing that has brought us clients and you know word of mouth is people have got to be saying positive things about you otherwise you know
0: well the construction industry in scotland isn't actually that like an industry so if you yeah. always tell our clients that if, if we make it if we do a bad job everyone will soon hear about it Aye. And, and likewise with yourselves if you do a bad job yeah that that news will travel fast. Absolutely. So, um, so so, in terms of your your current workload, what are some of the biggest challenges you face on a day to day basis or a higher level project project basis? Um,
1: there, well, there's a range of challenges. Some of them are just internal challenges, like managing ourselves, and we've got two folk that work with us. Um, you know, Andre and I are both qualified architects and the two people that work with us are on the journey to becoming qualified yeah, yeah. at various stages in the journey to becoming qualified. It's new to me to be managing other people's workloads, I suppose, yeah, yeah. So, that, uh, and to try and nurture them in on their journey to become an architect, I suppose, and their, their learning curves in that. Um, but also giving them agency and the feeling of being involved in the project in a way that we didn't necessarily experience when we were in their stage. Yeah. Um,
0: and I don't know about you, but as a, as a business owner or as a as a founder of a company, I'm I'm very particular about the the detail. Yeah. Do you find it hard to let go? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and and not come across like you're a stickler. Yeah. Or or you're or you're challenging them too much because I I find that's quite challenging sometimes that I'll see mistakes or I'll see things that I don't like in uh-huh. in, in designs and I don't want to keep going back and back. Because then it makes me look like I'm being petty or yeah. whatever. But at the same time, you want the perfect product for your client.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's, a ba- uh, it's a constant battle, that, because you, you're sort of trying to work out why you're challenging something. I suppose about picking your battles. If, mm-hmm. I- if you're pointing something out and asking for it to be changed, I'm um, w- sort of thinking about what it is you're trying to teach the people who you're asking to change um you know the folk who are working with you and saying you know i am pernickety yeah uh, and so is andrea and uh, it's not just for its own sake you know we're yep. trying to we're trying to nurture people and, and sort of show them best practice i suppose and also deliver something
0: that is um excellent i was listening to a podcast recently and it was the um, the diary of a ceo uh-huh. and, and michael jordan and um, kobe bryant's coach was on and he was talking about marginal gains very yeah. similar and how they're right into the detail even about how how much bounce on certain areas of the basketball court has the ball got because there be dead spots on the court and it was these details that set them apart from the rest of the is that right the, uh, the rest of their competition uh-huh. um so that that's very similar it's about if you've got your eye on the detail and you're very particular about how things go out the door mm-hmm. that'll set you apart from your competition and as you say you've managed to keep your business going and and grow continually Mm. just through word of mouth yeah um so you must be doing yeah something right obviously
1: also I think you know we're quite approachable and people um and we're good listeners usually and a lot of people don't know an architect you know and I wouldn't have and don't know where to start if they if you know I'm talking about domestic homeowners here you know rather than businesses but if you have a need for an architect then where do you start? I remember my mum used an architect once when I was a kid to put a skylight in and she just opened the yellow pages and picked somebody whose name Mm -hmm. began with A because it was the first one and called him and he came over and did a drawing and it was all fine. But that's the only experience I ever had as a kid with uh, somebody, you know, or the the only reference point I had for how you might commission an architect to do something. So, uh, but typically people will just ask their friends and family and say, do you know any architects, Mm -hmm. you know, and that has been the source of just uh, more business than we can possibly accept. So I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's also that, that therein is also a problem because there's a particular type of project that we would like to get, yeah. but uh, don't really have any p- clear route as to how we get there. You know, mm. I, I, and part of it is because with no presence on the internet, people can't see what sort of work that you do really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Unless they can ask and we've got a portfolio that we'll send them and it will show, show you. But people aren't floating around discovering us and going out, putting two and two together and going, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they might be an excellent fit for this project that I'm thinking of, yep. you know? So um, we are moving in that direction. You know, we, we did this thing, Andrea and I, a year ago where we took a week off work, I think, and went, and stayed in cove park which is sort of our arts residency location in just outside of helensburgh and spent that week trying to put a plan in place really you know because we we'd grown very organically jobs came to us through word of mouth we sort of had an attitude that we would say yes to virtually everything Mm -hmm. or or at least pitch for virtually everything that came our way and then as time as time went on we started to revise that approach and look for more desirable projects and just become more experienced in, um, identifying ones that, um, we're not going to be for us for various reasons. Um, and then, but what we were trying to devise a roadmap with the sort of dream projects in mind and how do we get from the point that we are now to even being in the shot of getting that sort of project, you know? Um, and, having a presence and people seeing the type of work that you're capable of and definitely helps doesn't yeah. it? it's going to be important in that
0: it's very very similar to how we started a lot of the work rate right at the start was very organic uh-huh. but then when you get more employees on obviously you've got to have more work coming in to mm-hmm. keep those employees going as well and you've got other responsibilities like you've got to pay wages at the end of the month etc so I think it's th- as you're saying as you're finding is you start having to go to go after work a wee bit more than maybe you would have in the past yeah um especially with the bigger contractors there's a lot more competition there in frameworks local authority contracts yeah. etc
1: yeah that's the sort of barrier to entry you know when we when we're on that um residency you know the ambitions are relatively humble it's not like we want to design the new <laughs> central library and Bruges yeah, or yeah. something like that but it's like you know we'd like to do a we'd like to do some social housing you know uh, that's not particularly humble but that's probably one of the biggest ones we did that in the previous office that we worked in you know a block of new housing or new flats and you know uh for housing association or something um but to get to that point is incredibly difficult in yep. this country, you know, because we did this in the previous office, you've got you've got to qualify, you know, before you can even put a, an idea together, it's yep. sort of what's your, what's your turnover, is it above 5 million, what's your...
0: Th- there is a lot of barriers to entry, even yeah. though in your last practice you were the, st- you were the people that were doing the yeah. designs yeah. that l- were literally getting built, yeah. so you know how to do the design, we find that quite often as well, there is barriers to entry yeah. even though our designers have worked with of the multinational design organizations in the uk mm. and designed universities schools hospitals but then when we come to do a social housing job or an office fit out, there's barriers to entry as a company yeah that, that we, we find. but it doesn't
1: serve anybody well really because one of the sole practitioners that i worked for when i came out of university that i mentioned earlier he had worked in germany in the 90s, I think, and was talking about the way that they go about procuring buildings. I remember him saying, you know, or I'd I'd come across a drawing of his, a really nice drawing, and I asked him about it. He'd said, oh, that was a competition entry for a nursery or something in in Germany that entered, and then spoke through the way that they go about getting these buildings. So it's a completely anonymous ideas competition, essentially, and the (laughs) best idea wins. (laughs) And they will support you and and facilitate the construction of that building if you don't have the means to do it, you know. And you look at the built environment in Berlin and go, yeah, this is a good city. And perhaps, uh, you know, perhaps letting the best solution be be the one that's chosen rather than the best, um, you know, uh, the the sort of meeting the guidance of – Limiting the liability of clients and investors is essentially
0: what's the deciding factor in this country, you know,
1: and it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't lead to the best outcomes.
0: Financially and, yeah. and as a product, because financially for the local authorities or, or the, whoever is procu- procuring the work, they don't get the best value because framework rates are usually higher because yeah. the qual the, the, the size of the business, a uh, tendon for them is a lot bigger. So they've got higher overheads, etc. Uh-huh. Even though the product that they're getting at the end might not necessarily be any, yeah, superior, yeah, and that that's what we found. And the, the other thing that, that that I found working with the bigger the bigger multinational practices was they're so inflexible when it comes to delivering for the client. If the client asks you to to go out with your standard operating processes, it's like no, we can't do that. Whereas mm-hmm. whereas as a as a smaller organisation, we're nimble. We can we can tailor our processes to meet the client's needs almost Mm -hmm. i know it's
1: it's just sort of it just feels a bit antiquated really and a bit sort of like I, i see you know for example a new build i'm in danger of slagging off things that are in me the you know just because it's a nursery there was one built at the bottom of my street and i'm like how it's a very 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 strange design i don't think it's a successful design at all to be honest with you and it uh i just look at it and think i could have i could have had a far better go at that yep. than what's I, I understand that the process of getting a building built is complicated and there's value engineering and you know all this sort of yeah stuff, but even still you know there are some basic moves that have been made in the design which are extremely dubious yeah um, the way it, or does not address this th- a major street um and creates a bunch of very odd relationships to the public realm is f- is very weird and I- going back to that example of the way that they would have commissioned that possibly in in my uh, fictitious german utopia is that um somebody young designers anybody doesn't matter if they're young would have produced a bunch of ideas for that and the best one would have been would have been selected by people who were um making a decision based on what would be best for the people using it and the city and you know and other ambitions like how sustainable is it going to be yeah you know x y and z and
0: not based on another design that they've produced for something else and yeah. just stuck it I, and the
1: fact and that, that, they've that they've got a certain amount of professional indemnity insurance and you know a turnover and a track record of delivering buildings without risk yeah you know, that's essentially what the, the choice has been made on
0: yeah it, it you kind of get it from both sides. You do understand why they need to de-risk certain projects. Yeah. But if a if a practice has got a certain track record of being in business for X amount of years and delivered X amount of projects, then mm-hmm. surely it shouldn't be based on turnover because they could be losing money ultimately. Yeah. But have a good turnover. So. Yeah.
1: Or you could. I mean, I can imagine a way that you could have an, a sort of executive team. Yeah, so that would be that would would have a proven track record of delivering buildings, you know, for local authorities or whatever. Um, that is not that is not necessarily the concept design team. Let's say, you know, I, I can think of examples of that happening in other countries where people who don't necessarily have the skills or expertise to actually build a complicated building and see that job through are, you know, the the the, the concept of is a, is agreed to be the correct one and the design yeah. is agreed to be the best design for the site and the requirements of the project but the people who actually execute it and oversee its construction are are well experienced and are just sort of delivering the idea So
0: instead of having the one architect from stage one through to to implementation you've got so there's a split in the middle yeah
1: and maybe there's some ongoing role for the original concept architect to sort of safeguard the idea but exactly yeah you know um you know uh, the borough collections recently reopened i think that is a masterpiece that building and uh, i think that they won that a competition for the for the design of that building when they were young you know and it's not without its technical problems which have been addressed as an indication of what it you know taking a a leap of faith in 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 a designer who's you know they were relatively young at that point i think Mm -hmm. likewise charles Rennie mcintosh was a young guy when he designed the art school and that is Know a masterpiece,
0: well it it is was masterpiece, a masterpiece yeah. yeah. It's just got
1: to be one of the best buildings in the country, yeah.
0: You know. Um, and, and what do you think? I'm kind of going off topic a wee bit, but what do you think about um retrofitting of existing buildings, v knocking down buildings and rebuilding because of the VAT incentives around new builds?
1: Well it's a challenge it is i mean we've done very limited amount of new build work in our time to be honest with you you know it's not um we did one major new build project when we worked in that office together and it was 16 social housing flats and six houses um but besides that our the vast you know the lion's share of our work is refurbishing existing buildings and our default position is therefore you you would have to there ought to be a very strong justification for why you're going to demolish something yeah. um and that should be the default you should have to work incredibly hard to justify why you're going to demolish something rather than retrofit it or refurbish it even you know people like to start with a sort of tabla rasa sort of let's demolish it s- skim this you know sort of scrape the site we've got we can start from ground zero fresh, yep. yeah, fresh um i think that you should personally this is i think that you should have to um jump through hoops to justify that
0: we we quite often see it when the installation contractors taken on early because no disrespect but they're always just looking out for what's easy during the installation process yes. and not necessarily for the whole life of the asset yeah whereas if you go through a wee bit of pain in the design and the construction process you can end up with a really really good product absolutely that, that's still got the, the original um style and
1: from my point of view the ex- Know, uh, talking about the sort of experiential aspects of being in a building, uh, you're often when you collide these things, which are an existing building and it's repurposing or adaptation to something that maybe wasn't originally. Yep. You know, is going to create is, it creates interesting experiences for people 100%. in a way that you then have to work very hard to try and inject that back in. If you're starting from scratch, some sort of ma- you know, and people often fail, and you end up with just uh, you know another sort of pretty bland and. Uh, a small, a small
0: wee monument out the front
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> i value engineer out all the good bits that i tried to get in and then you're back in that position 25 years later with the same building where people are going well actually we should be adapting that and and, and then the whole thing is th- this cycle continues so i think um
0: our default position is always to try and retain virtually as much as yeah. possible you know it, it kind of goes back to this capital cost or capital expenditure v doing the right thing sometimes yeah because I, as you kind of touched on at the start when people have only got a limited budget, sometimes that decision's driven by their budget rather than doing the right thing for the asset or the whole life cost of the asset. Yeah, totally.
1: I mean I've I've seen I've seen this conversation play out in industry media and, you know, on social media as well, where people have been saying rather than assess you know, assess the cost of the building which is what we do you know by tender return or whatever we should be assessing the cost of the building plus its maintenance for the next 50 years and and then that will substantially shift the conversation because there are people i can think of there's one architect this guy amin taha and his practice group work they're building in a very or a somewhat different way from the rest of the the sort of main quite unconventionally and they're sort of at the cutting edge of like you know, load-bearing stone construction, for example, in this country. No, we, yep. um, and demonstrating that the costs of it, uh, the, the sort of original investment cost of building in that way might be a bit more expensive. Yep. But the carbon, the uh, maintenance costs of it, and yep. the whole life costs of the building are going to be vastly uh, less. Yep. And it also has a bunch of different benefits. I'm not an expert, but, I've d- you know, But, you know, from fire safety and all these combustibility points of view, sound insulation, thermal insulation, all these sorts of things, he's sort of demonstrating, well, actually, all the different parts of a building need to be, they require systems, you know, we require suspended ceiling systems with a bunch of plasterboard and insulation, all these sorts of things. Certain types of constructions have these qualities inherent within them and don't require hundreds of trades all stacking up on top of one another. All these kind of, tricky details which are actually relying heavily on workmanship you know yeah. Um, but yeah so I, I guess assessing assessing, taking a, a much longer term view of what the of what the ongoing costs of a building maintenance are going to be would
0: to- totally agree with that because as, as building services engineers we are quite quite often telling clients look we understand why you want to go for a gas boiler but you should have a look at air source heat pumps or ground source heat pumps even though they're more expensive up front, yeah. the The operational expenditures significantly less over the course, especially when they're paired with things like solar panels or anything like that. Um But we've got a, we've got a project ongoing just now where we're working for a developer, and uh, all they're bothered about is capital cost, mm-hmm. and they wanted electric boilers, instantaneous combi boilers, in. and we tried to demonstrate that to them. They didn't want to go down air source route, so we tried to demonstrate. The ongoing cost of or energy cost of gas is is a third or a quarter of what the electric boiler. So we missus Murray, who's bought bought the house, mm-hmm. she's going to be spending four hundred and fifty pound a month to heat it mm-hmm. with an electric boiler, whereas she'd be spending a hundred pound a month or hundred and twenty pound a month with like the gas equivalent. Surely you should be looking at that as a responsible developer. Yeah, and we get outweighted. so um it, it's like ongoing struggle for us and mm-hmm. a frustration that we have um quite often
1: yeah that's unfortunate it's yeah. sort of aye, profit margins and it uh, you know and, and and making making the best the best decision for your bottom line rather than for you know there should be a social responsibility
0: there really you know 100 and and so going going back to to your career so what's what's would you say as a standout project or moment from your your career which career highlight
1: it's long and varied or it's not that long i mean I've, i was talking to the taxi driver on the way here actually saying he was going also asking what i was doing i'm 34 i started studying this when i was 18 so it's been virtually half my life yeah. um but my memory is short so the thing that you know the thing something we're working on at the moment that i'm enjoying a lot and it's, it's been complicated is um converting a church listed church client of ours bought it in lockdown i think yeah from the church of scotland's website which has got you know just redundant or defunct ecclesiastical buildings of theirs around the place or sort of other other properties that they own and they own, they seem to own a lot um yep. just up for sale and he just went and saw it fell in love with it it's in a cracking spot in east luvian um and it's been an eye-opening challenge you know we did a we did a church conversion in the last office that we worked in but it was a completely it was you know in the city, it was in the west end of glasgow it yep. was completely different this is isolated in a um, in a bunch of agricultural fields out in the middle of sort of nowhere in east, east Lothian. and um yeah we be good to talk to you about this at some point actually because it doesn't have a toilet connect it doesn't have any waste connections it doesn't have it's got you know an an electricity supply it doesn't have really a water connection um, Ser-
0: services are always a challenge on remote sites like yeah, this Yep. yeah
1: and it's uh, uh, it is owned the ownership of it is he owns up to the external face of the church walls and it is surrounded by a historic graveyard which oh. is owned by somebody else well it's owned by east lothian council um so it's it's, it's been really interesting and uh it's a, a, a it's me- not maybe a career highlight but it's a great commission and um really enjoyed working on it others i'm not entirely sure i mean i can think of things that, that have gr- brought great satisfaction in the past um yep. I, but it's hard to work out
0: if the satisfaction is just that it's finished you yeah, need yeah to move on because yeah um i remember the first the first time we met was there was a spa concept job down in renfrew oh yeah and i remember walking into the space it was an old bank yeah and having seen the plans i thought this is never going to work how are we going to get two floors in here yeah. in such a restricted space how are we going to get all the services through it how are we going to get it compliant with the, the building regulations and then seeing that finish that was quite quite eye-opening because it was a good finish yeah for the space available i know that was that was uh, really challenging it was uh, it was
1: quite an undertaking that yeah. the client went through you know and i'm not sure I'm not sure how, you know, COVID interrupted that as well. So it meant that we were, in the design process, we were sort of um, communicating remotely. Yeah, yeah. And we did we did labor the fact that you're biting off a lot here. And s- I looked back at that project file and the first concepts that we came up with, the first designs that we put in front of her, were basically an attempt to move her away from um, her strong desire to put another floor into that. Yeah. W- uh, uh, but, you know, to be fair to her, she knew exactly what she wanted and sort of hammered, his, ham- hammered away at it.
0: But I suppose that goes back to being client centric. You're delivering for the client. You went away with her remit in mind and uh-huh. delivered what what she wanted as as the business owner for that that building. Yeah, totally. Um, and and looking back, Liam, is there anything what what would you tell yourself of five years ago? Wow
1: charge more money <laughs>
0: <laughs> nah. yeah. um
1: i'm not sure i would i would probably the thing is what you know i've looked back at my s- sketchbooks from you know the time that we started out you know yeah, yeah. and i remember you're sort of flicking through them and i'm looking at them going oh i remember I've, that was really challenging and i found that very stressful mm-hmm. um but somehow it got resolved you know and I probably didn't need to lose sleep over it or 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 labor about it so much um so i'm trying to sort of pull that through into my current where i am currently in my life and my work and think you know you're gonna you that this will this bit will come to an end this bit that you're not enjoying will come to an end and there's you know uh just weather the storm yeah that's not to suggest that the storm is going on (laughs) (laughs) it's just sometimes you feel kind of you might buckle under the weight of um the things that you're carrying around in your head and 100%. the work that you've got yeah, yeah. you know um i so i I, th- I think if i could do anything differently it would probably be to take on less less projects but it's difficult because the scale of them a lot of the ones that we started out with are very small yeah. and therefore you sort of need to take on a lot in order to you know pay your mortgage basically right, exactly and then um, but then you're burdening the this, all of this administration work that accompanies each of them, and not really the thing that I got into this yeah, you know, this to do.
0: But now, but now you've developed relationships with each of those clients, so yeah, there's more clients to come back to you in future if they ever need any more architectural work done, etc. So yeah, I suppose
1: there's swings and roundabouts Absolutely. there, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and it's just getting to know lots of people, which has been exciting. You know, I think yeah. um, it's just it's just. I always I have this constant desire to have a few core projects that I'm really involved yeah. in, and um, it never really seems to pan out that way yet. You know, it's a lot of a lot of I'm involved in a lot of projects, and I f- sometimes worry that I can't give as much as I ought to be able to, to each of them. Yeah. You know,
0: I feel that pain quite often because we'll have some of the larger projects ongoing but then you've still got loose ends from other projects or the installation contractor will come back to you with a technical submission or or yeah. th- they'll come back to you with a technical query, wh- whatever. So so you're kind of always got many projects ongoing yeah. at the same time, even though you want to get your head into one or two larger scale projects. Yeah. It never really works out that way.
1: No, it doesn't. And you carry that legacy of other things that you've done in the past because at any moment, you know, when, like, when it starts pouring it down in Glasgow in the rain sort of sideways... The first thing that goes through my head is i wonder if any of those you know you start thinking about the detailing of the buildings that you've worked on going yeah, yeah is that leaking mm-hmm. I wonder. um thankfully not but you know as just as you get older and do more things you know you just accumulate this sort of um you know portfolio of work that you also are you're kind of going to be linked to you know yeah, yeah if a problem ever arises with it you're going to get a phone call about it but you're also it's just aging and you can't help but you know i just going around glasgow now i'm sort of driving past a lot i worked on that i worked on that and i remember that being told to me by other people that i worked with you know we would just be in the car and they would say oh i did that and mm-hmm. and not really and just kind of like look at it just kind of glance at it and i was like that's really strange you know i'd never built anything at that point and yeah it's sort of like I you must still be invested in it as a emotionally yeah. invested in it
0: see that that's one of the things that makes me tick uh-huh. I, I go past things and i look well that looks like a cool building i would love to design the services within that building or whatever and that really makes me tick when i see something that we've created or we've designed and yeah. it's been our concept it's come from our heads onto the paper and it's actually been built yeah that that really
1: yeah it never gets old that feeling no no,
0: no yes. and, it, and it's nice when it when it's built the way that you've designed it rather than yeah been value engineered out of it yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just also i mean i was in edinburgh yesterday and uh, right at the outset of uh
1: a job starting on site it's just a wee a wee thing but it's nice and the, the, the for really nice folk and um, i met the contractor there yesterday and it's just it's just such an exciting stage because yeah. they're there with a crowbar you know we were making somebody's lived in this house while we're going through all this design process and we're having to make assumptions you know it's a historic building it's a tenement flat so it's 120 odd years old it's got 120 years of people making decisions about what they're going to do in there and covering all sorts of stuff up and Mm -hmm. so we're assuming or making educated guesses about what we're going to find when things get opened up and then you know arrived yesterday they've packed up the flat into the two rooms at the front that are unaffected things have got dust sheets on them and there's a a guy there with a crowbar and now it's about to get very exciting yeah start pulling up floorboards and 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 you're writing the next chapter of this properties sensitively yeah totally and you know in historic buildings it is there is a constant feeling of it's like part archaeology you know and part sort of um surgical intervention because and that's really exciting you know yeah i don't think i'll ever grow tired of that feeling
0: yeah so so what's next for marini o'shea um
1: well we're gonna go back on a residency again next year because we'll be in april of next year will be five years since we've set up and yep. that the first five years that's I would still consider that to be early days
0: to yep. be honest with 100%, you. Yep.
1: um so we're going to go back and do that and have another kind of week of trying to work out what direction we should go in because I think the first five years have been sort of defined by s- gaining a lot of experience s- saying yes to a lot of things and, and in that process working out what we want to do more of and what we want to do less of and formulating positions on a lot of stuff, you know, just as you might expect. Yep. Um, so now that we've got that, I think that we're gonna try and be a bit more purposeful in a direction, you know? Yeah, yeah. Starting to get things a bit further afield, like, um, Belfast, Northern Ireland, Liverpool, London.
0: I suppose that's the beauty of of our work, that you can work remotely. Obviously, you've got site visits, etc, and site surveys majority of the vast majority can be done remotely yeah um so you can work throughout the uk
1: yeah and i think uh, since covid i think that that's become a, m- you know with increased working from home and the use of the sort of normalization of the use of teams mm. and yeah just digital delivery of information to people you know and sort of remote meetings that's yep. become even it's just it's just sort of become more the norm yeah you know actually face-to-face meetings are the rarity now i would say andre and and i I got asked to have a chat with students at um one of the universities a couple of weeks ago to talk to them about what it was like to set up a practice not that dissimilar to this conversation today but there's a hundred odd students in that in that digital meeting room and Mm -hmm. not a single camera on so you're sort of delivering something to a hundred little black squares like into an echo chamber Yeah, yeah you know and um
0: Hoping someone's listening. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: And that's pretty difficult. So, I d- it, it's not the same as being sitting in a room with somebody, is it? You know, the, the conversation is nuanced, and it's you know, it, it's uh, it's difficult sometimes to do that remotely. Yeah. I think.
0: But you've probably you've told it to a hundred people. Maybe half of them will even consider it. Half yeah. of them will just fall into probably a full time position in our company. Not everyone's obviously. Yeah. Um, set up to be a be a business owner uh-huh well
1: i didn't think i mean it, i honestly never thought i would i would run my own practice you know when i was studying in one of the lectures that we had we were asked those of us who n- imagined us running our own practice were asked to put up our hands and mine stayed down you yeah. know i just didn't think didn't think i would ever do that to be honest with you but um here you are here i am yeah yep. brilliant now i envisage doing it i can't imagine really i can't imagine going back to being an employee of somebody else's and although i do occasionally fantasize about it to be honest with you um (laughs) because i remember i was listening to a podcast in which an architect who i admire somebody called mary duggan was being interviewed and she was talking about the accumulated baggage of of running your own practice and completing projects, not actually quite dis- similar to the conversation we had a moment ago. Um, and saying, you know, when her employees leave and move on, they c- that baggage stays at the practice and stays essentially with her because yep. it's the sort of, oh we've got rectification of defects for the next 24 months and then, you know, yep. the front door falls off. And, uh, and I need to, we've got to sort of maintain that building and, re- you know, and, and all this as- associated kind of, relationships with it stay with her whereas as an employee when you leave your job you just you just leave all that stuff yeah, yeah. You just go to another another place of work basically um and there is something enticing about that but i just know that i wouldn't
0: be happy you know yeah, yeah. you've got I, I feel me personally I've, I've sometimes got that that itch i need to scratch a wee bit and mm-hmm. it, and it running my own business and it allows me to flex my creativity muscles and yeah um and really stretch my legs when it comes to design yeah,
1: you'll do that in the marathon as well <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it, that, that was really really good liam thanks thanks for coming on the very first podcast it was refreshing to hear that even someone as cool and collected as yourself has, has got challenges yeah um and and the moral of the story is just jump in and try and figure out as you go and yeah
1: and and um, yeah, do your best. Nobody you can you if you do your best, you know. Exactly.
0: Thanks for having but, us, Craig. I appreciate thanks.
1: it. <laughs>